You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Dr. Jeff Hertzberg and Chef Zoe Francois are the authors of Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day. Their new book is Healthy Bread in Five Minutes a Day. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Hertzberg and Chef Francois. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. Now, um, let's uh, ratchet back to your first book, which is Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day. I've been making some of these recipes, and um, let's talk about what we need for our equipment. I, first thing you need is something to make it in, and I have a big old piece of Tupperware. Could you talk about what what you've used and what can be used? Um, in, in the book, we recommend that people use a bucket, um, mostly because it's easiest to store. Um, but by no means do you absolutely have to have that. Some people um, mix it in a bowl. Um, there are quite a few people that don't want to use any plastic, and so glass works well, um, stainless steel. You can really get away with just about anything that you have as long as it's five quarts or larger because the dough rises and you want to make sure that um, you don't sort of have a lava flow out of the container. Can you tell me why somebody wouldn't want to use plastic since that's what I'm using? <laughs> Um, some people find that they have a sensitivity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, we're not trying to say that you shouldn't use plastic. I use plastic at home. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of evidence that plastic is doing anything to food, but we know that some people are concerned about that, and it doesn't matter what you use. So if you want to be romantic and use a gray pottery you know, crock, that's <laughs> fantastic too. <laughs> I use plastic at home. I'm not, I'm not worried about it, but mm-hmm. some people have been. Yeah. We, sh- we should say why we're using such a big plastic bucket. We're mm-hmm. storing four or even five loaves worth at once in the refrigerator. And that's the premise of both books. That's why you want such a big vessel in the first place. And it could be a big bowl, by the way, that you already own. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I actually started out with was a, a maybe five or six quart stainless steel bowl. And I guess, yes, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the kind of the overall uh, thrust here. What we do is we make a big batch of dough and keep it around for up to two weeks. I didn't know you could do that. And it, and it seems so brilliant that, no, why didn't anybody ever think of this before? Because of tradition. Somebody said, uh, why isn't it done before? Is it because tra- traditionally uh, professional bakers were taught that you never s- keep a dough around for more than three days, that it loses its gas, its rising power. And what we experimented with over these two books is keeping it wet enough so that it doesn't sort of resist that expansion of the gas bubble, but not so wet that you can't handle it. And then you can keep it for up to two weeks. And before I met Zoe, I was keeping it for four weeks. And we don't think you should do that. But I like it a little denser than she does. <laughs> this is a, It makes it so convenient because it means you can make a nice smallish loaf in the morning or make a, a batch of cinnamon rolls at night. Um, now, so we start out, we've got our big old bowl here. Um, what else do we need? You talk about a food processor. Um, I actually use a wooden spoon, and that seemed to work just dandy for me. Yeah, most people will do that. They'll just dump the ingredients in, stir it up with a spoon. 
we have a few uh, readers that are um, that find that too arduous. Um, we have one reader in particular that I'm thinking of that's in her 90s, and she just finds using the wooden spoon a little too much work. So we do give people the option of doing it in a food processor or a mixer, but we like the idea of just doing it in one container and having nothing else to wash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that makes it very easy. Now, um, you need a measuring scoop, and that's kind of important. It's nice to have one of those cups that has a, has a handle on it that's one cup. You just dip it in the flour and scrape it off. Right. We use the scoop and sweep method. Mm-hmm. We also give, in the second book, we give weight equivalents for the master recipe and a table so you can convert everything in the book to a weight that's a little more consistent. And for our European readers, they really sort of demand weights. Mm. For American readers, they mostly want to use cup measures. Mm-hmm. And so specifically, as you say, you've got to, the way we do it, and it will come out differently if you measure differently, we sort of gently scoop up into the cup without spooning into the cup, just Mm. scoop the cup into the flour and then sweep across the top with a spatula or a knife. And that'll be be accurate for for most of our readers. Now, one thing that I've recently been told is necessary for a lot of cooking, and I hadn't thought about that. I just bought it up because I have such a terrible oven, you can't have no idea what it's cooking at. It's it, The glass is cracked in the upper one. It's just completely wonky. Is an oven thermometer. Uh, Zoe, talk about the importance of an oven thermometer. Um, Jeff and I often say that it is the one piece of equipment that everybody needs to have. Um, and it's beca- just because of that. I had an oven in one of my homes that was 75 degrees off. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can know that is to have an oven thermometer. And it can be a $5 oven thermometer. You don't have to buy you know, anything too expensive. But you really need to know um, how hot your oven is in order to get that really nice crispy crust and also to make sure that the interior of your bread is, is done baking. Yeah, my oven is not only um, off temperature, it also kind of varies from time to time. One time I was cooking and I found out it was like 75 degrees high, and the next day it's low. So I have no idea what it's cooking. So you really, an uh, oven thermometer is, is very nice. Now, um, this is the first bread I've ever heard used cooking a pizza stone. Pizza stones are great for two reasons. One, it, it evens out the temperature in an inexpensive oven, which are often uneven, especially electric ovens. Um, and secondly, is it creates a fantastic crust in a freeform bread. And it's really nice to have. It's not absolutely required, but if you want to make freeform breads with really nice crispy crust, um, the stone draws some of the moisture out of the outside part of the bread, and it also uh, conducts heat to it really well. And you won't get the same crust without it. The other thing you need for the crust is, I'm sure you've tried already, is a birther tray somewhere in the oven that you mm-hmm. throw water in. You preheat the birther tray with the stone for mm-hmm. about a half hour together. At the, at the, for most of our, our lean breads without fat or eggs, it's 450 degrees. You throw water in just before you close the oven door, about a cup, and the steam creates a caramelization in the crust that's really beautiful, and it really works much better with the stone. You don't have to buy a stone immediately, especially if you're making breads in a loaf pan where you're getting a different effect with the crust anyway. Nothing's going to draw through the bottom if you're in a loaf pan. Mm -hmm. Another way to achieve that is in a closed pan, and you get steam inside of it. You could do it in a Dutch oven, Mm -hmm. or you can do it in one of these clay uh, cookers that that people get for bread. Mm -hmm. So any of those methods. Now, I'd never heard of putting, like, steaming bread like that. This is, some, is this, I'm, this is something new? Oh, no, no, no. This is something that's been always been done. And basically what it does is that steam um, 
one softens up the bread so it rises really nicely and it also um, gives you that really nice shine on mm. your bread so it sort of gelatinizes on the top of the crust and and that sets and gives you a really beautiful shine to your bread. Now um, you also want to have a pizza peel which is explain what a pizza peel is is something I had no idea what it was until I you know got one as kind of kind of a gift set so it's a wooden or aluminum board with a handle mm -hmm. and it allows you to sort of have a nice wrist action where you can just flick that you, we can't show it on the radio we have it on our videos <laughs> though on artisanbreadin5.com you just sort of flip it quickly without a handle it's hard to do that but you can use an overturned cookie sheet till you buy one the reason it slips off pretty well, you've either uh, put a bunch of cornmeal or flour, or the easiest of all is if you put some parchment paper mm. underneath your bread, especially if you're taking a nice long rest time after shaping. We should probably just walk through the whole process because we've mm -hmm. talked about a bunch of different parts of this. Yeah, no, I want to get kind of okay. the, uh, the uh, my hope the, here the is to, yeah, okay. get, get, get the idea of what we need, and then we'll talk about putting it together. Now, um, you also talk about... Uh, Non-stick loaf pans. So a Pyrex loaf pan is not going to work for you. Eh, I bought one just yesterday. I was going to make a loaf. So I guess I got to go back and look for a non-stick, eh? The dough is so wet mm -hmm. that we find that it wants to sort of grab on and stick to everything. And so we find um, the non-stick is the best. And even with the non-stick, we recommend that you grease the pan. Mm -hmm. So you can try um, using your Pyrex. And what some people do is actually make a parchment sling on mm. the bottom of the pan. Just put a little bit of parchment um, right on the bottom and that will sort of give you a little bit of insurance to get that out. So you can certainly use your loaf pan. You just have to um, make like, a little alternative. I like that because I was looking at another cookbook called The No Worry Baker and it's like all without, it's cooking without fat and this gal cooks everything on parchment. So I actually have parchment and I put parchment in there and yeah and it does actually does exactly what you think so maybe I'll try that now uh, let's talk about flour obviously this is an important part of this when I've made the I made two batches of, of this now and I've just used basically bog standard Pillsbury all-purpose flour just and I just reach into the bag scoop out a cup slide it off with a with a knife and dump it in the the, the rest of the ingredients um, so what I have to ask about is I've got this Bob's Red Mill bread flour. Is that high? Are Bob's Red Mill white, all per, white unbleached flour? Now it says it's good for bread machines, but I'm not sure if it's high gluten. Where that falls in the in the spectrum, and maybe you could talk about the gluten contents of different flours and how that affects the cooking. For for where we use white flour, we are always specifying just to be consistent unbleached all-purpose and mm -hmm. we say unbleached because bleaching leaches away some of the protein mm -hmm. in addition to making it very white so we wanted to be consistent we also aren't crazy about the extra chemicals from the bleach mm. um, so where we call for white flour and you must be talking about the first book which is, is yes. largely uh, doesn't have all that much whole wheat in it mm -hmm. um, if you use a flour other than unbleached all-purpose which is about 10 percent protein by by weight mm -hmm. um, you're gonna have to change the recipe because protein absorbs water mm -hmm. so if you use a high-protein flour like bread flour or best for bread flour, it'll mm -hmm. be labeled. You've got to increase the water by as much as about a quarter cup in the master recipe from oh, the first okay. book. Um, and we really don't want you to use cake flour, which is the lower protein. It's about 8 or 9% mm -hmm. protein because that just doesn't, make a, it doesn't have the right feel in bread. It doesn't create a, a chewiness. Mm -hmm. So it does matter. This Bob's product you're, you're mentioning, if it's not labeled as bread or high-protein, I'm guessing it's all-purpose is what mm -hmm. it sounds like. Well, it's... it's, it's 
unbleached white flour, but it says best for bread. Well, it might be bread flour. Then yeah. Zoe, what do you what do you think? Have you seen that product? Um, I haven't, but um, if it's if it's saying that it's for bread, it, it probably right. is a higher protein. Mm -hmm. It may just take a little, you know, one time of experimenting with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on our website, we have a quarter million books out there, and we hear from people all <laughs> over the world. And of course, flour is different in China than it is in Alabama, and sure. even well, in I never Vermont. Of that. Yeah. Um, and so we're really learning a tremendous amount about the protein content of flour all over the world. Um, we've done, um, we do a lot of work on our website, and this is one issue that we talk a lot about on our website. So people can come and visit us at artisanbreadin5.com. And, and we answer questions all the time. So if anybody has an issue like this with particular flowers in their area, mm -hmm. um, we can help them sort of adjust um, to those specific flowers. Now, let's talk about yeast is the other ingredient that we're going to, going to be putting in here. I just bought a jar of <laughs> yeast. <laughs> it was the only thing I could find in a jar, and it said good for bread machines, but, you know, it seems, so, thus far, it seemed to work fine. We, we found that it does not make any difference what kind of yeast you use. All of the differences between yeasts, well, most of it has to do with how quickly it operates. Mm -hmm. And our whole method is based on time, mm -hmm. that we're going to store it for up to two weeks. And by the time a day or two passes, you're not going to be able to tell which yeast you used on day yeah. zero. Um, if you use instant rise yeast, well, maybe you'll get to use it faster on the first day if you like to use it on the first day. Personally, I like to let this dough age a bit. It develops uh, really delicious sourdough flavors mm -hmm. over the first three or four days. And I actually stagger my batches. Mm -hmm. So I'm in no hurry. But if you're baking on the very first day, it takes two hours for it to do the initial rise. You can't, um, you can't use it until that initial rise is done. And if you use instant rise yeast, maybe it'll be a little quicker than two hours. I find the difference relatively trivial, though. So if, if it's labeled as granulated yeast... Um, uh, instant yeast, uh, fast-acting yeast, best for bread machine, we can't find any difference. Even cake yeast, fresh yeast, which is hardly available in the U.S., but mm -hmm. we get the question, that works fine. You have to adjust the amount that's in the book. Now, okay, so we have, and salt, salt is salt, as you say, and that's, that's kind of interesting because you can pay a lot for salt, but it all tastes kind of salty, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. When you're baking or cooking with it, you really can't tell the difference. Um, but for all of our recipes, we tested it with Morton's kosher salt. Mm -hmm. And so those are um, the amounts for the book. Um, again, on our website, we give equivalents for people that are using table salt or even diamond kosher salt, which gives a different amount. Mm. So you can use any of them. The other thing that we get a lot, both Jeff and I really are sort of salt fanatics. We like the flavor. We find that it boost the flavor of the bread. Um, but there are some people that can't do a lot of salt. Mm -hmm. So you can actually reduce or even eliminate the salt in any of the recipes mm. um, and sort of make it to suit your own palate. Now, okay, so we have everything there. Uh, one thing I have to ask, there's this word that we've heard a lot about, or I've heard a lot about, and I have no idea exactly what it means, is gluten. What the heck is gluten, and why do I care about it? Gluten is uh, the protein in the white part of wheat that creates sort of a strand, like lined up strands in either kneaded dough or very wet dough that's allowed to sit that creates a network that traps gas. And you really can't make bread without gluten. So if you use bread flour, it's high gluten, and since it's labeled that way, actually it's high gluten. Unbleached all-purpose is in the middle, and cake flour has too little gluten to make a good bread and catch the, catch the gas that you form from the yeast. Um, 
because whole wheat has sort of sharp little grains of bran circulating in it, mm -hmm. that tends to cut the gluten strands as they develop. And so whole wheat bread tends to be dense. You don't get a great gluten network. It also has less protein in the first place because remember we said that the gluten is in the white part of wheat and you've mm. replaced part of that with bran and wheat germ. So basically to make our method work with stored dough, we found that we had to add back some of the gluten and that's where the vital wheat gluten comes in. That You just have to use it to, to store this dough. For the second book. For the For, second book. Right. right, right. Yeah, I just got my, my vital wheat gluten yesterday and it looks like it's pretty easy to deal with. Now, um, Let's talk about, you have master recipes, uh, it's several of them in, in each of the books. Talk about what a master recipe is and, and kind of how you uh, as cooks deal with it. I mean, Well, uh, what, we, what we wanted to do, like we had mentioned before, that when you're mixing up a batch of these doughs, you're mixing up enough for about four or five loaves. And we want to encourage people to not just make one kind of bread out of this master recipe, but to take some out and maybe roll in olives or raisins and walnuts. Or So we have the master dough, but then we encourage people to make all different things. They can make pizzas, and um, with some of the enriched doughs, you can make um, different sweets out of it, crescent rolls or cinnamon buns. So you, you start with the dough, and then we also give recipes for ways to use all of that because you have this big bucket of dough we want you to play with it mm, and, and that's one of the things that I really like about this book and both these books is this they really encourage you I mean I kind of have a hard time getting past some of the master recipes so once I have this dough I go oh wow I can do this and this with it and, and that's really fun for, for both of these books let's talk about how how this works you take you get yourself you get your big old plastic bowl um, I went and I have a I have a large measuring cup that I put in the microwave and I kind of too lukewarm and this is where you want a candy thermometer is somewhat of, of a help to, to get that hundred degrees actually I to tell the truth I use my meat thermometer <laughs> kind of look at it and go well that's uh, close enough for rock and roll <laughs> and, and you heat up your water uh, then and you put it in the bottom of the of your uh, of your big, big old plastic thing. Then what happens next? You basically, uh, well, in the first book, we do the water first, uh -huh. like you say. I should just say, I never use a thermometer for my, for my water. It, okay. doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm used to not, the key is, if you make it too hot, you'll kill the yeast. So mm. it's whatever we say in the book, 100, 105 degrees, you want to be below that. But I can tell with my finger when that is. Mm. Um, you could use cold water, and it will work. It will just take a lot longer than the two hours we specify, mm. and that's okay too. Some people put it in the refrigerator overnight after using a little warm water. But basically, uh, in the first book, because we're not using vital wheat gluten, you can start with the liquid ingredients, mm. add the salt and the yeast and the flour pretty much all at once, and it doesn't matter what order. Mm. It frankly doesn't, in the first book, since there's no vital wheat gluten, everything can be dumped in the bucket in any order you choose. Oh. Right? In the okay. book, we say the water first. It yeah. doesn't matter. The yeast doesn't have to dissolve first. The salt doesn't have to dissolve first. It's wet enough that it's all going to come out in the wash. Mm. Uh, once you use your spoon or any of your, your tools, mixer or whatever you want, uh, it sits on the counter. If you use warmish water, lukewarm, it's, it'll rise completely and begin to settle again 
in about two hours, mm-hmm. and it will never rise again, by the way. It's always going to look like it's much smaller than when it maximized. Mm-hmm. After the two hours are up into the refrigerator for up to two weeks, it's now stored and ready to go every day, and you're ready to make the bread without mixing again, and that's what changes everything for mm-hmm. people who are busy. It's, it's a great recipe. Now, tell us the difference in... Um, okay, so why do we call this artisan bread? I mean, what, what's, why is it just not bread? What's this? <laughs> Um, it's in the style of um, what people have come to think of as artisan bread. So the hand-formed mm-hmm. um, loaf with that really beautiful crispy crust. Um, and so it's that oppo- as opposed to what you're buying in the bags in a grocery store. These are really hand-formed loaves. We even have the one of the differences between our method and some of the other no-need methods that are out there is that Our dough is wet, but it's not so wet that um, you have to bake it just in a pot. You can form this into a baguette. You can make this into pitas. You can um, form an epi, which is this wheat stock bread that's just absolutely beautiful. Um, So there's a lot lot of creativity and artistry that, that can go into forming your loaves. One of the things that's nice is this ability to, to make it every day and to do different things with it. Um, let's talk about the, uh, uh, the healthy bread. Now, why is this healthier than the other bread? Well, you know, the first question I got is um, I used to be a practicing physician. I do a lot of things now, consulting and, and writing books is one of them. The first question I got was, you know, you're a doctor. Why are you eating any white flour at all? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think white flour is dangerous. Uh, I think white flour is fine in moderation and in combination with other with other foods. But more and more Americans are avoiding white flour because we know that the white part of the flour doesn't have the vitamins and the fiber that the wheat germ and the bran have in whole grains. Mm-hmm. And American Diabetes Association, for example, now says eating whole grains can prevent that can contribute to preventing to diabetes, which is an epidemic in the U.S. Mm-hmm. The real reason we, we, were, we were motivated to write a second book with this theme of, of breads based on whole grains, fruits, and vegetables, and even some gluten-free, is that our readers asked us for it. They mm. said, why, why aren't you writing a book with all those ingredients in it? And when it came time, when the first book sold well, and there are a quarter million of them in print now, um, that was the obvious choice. And it came to both of us at the same time because we're reading our, our own website. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's whole grains... Um, spelt, emmer flour, fruits and vegetables. I mean, Zoe started experimenting with putting some very colorful vegetables into the bread that are really fun that we can talk about too. And a significant um, chunk of our readership was saying, even if I'm not celiac myself, I'm entertaining for people who are avoiding gluten. They're either celiac or they feel better off wheat gluten. How do I make those? And so we developed one chapter of recipes for gluten-free folks. Right, right. I thought that was very interesting. Now, uh, so describe the way that we make the uh, healthy bread as opposed to the other, as to opposed to the just easy and fun bread. Um, because we introduce the vital wheat gluten, mm-hmm. we start in a slightly different way. So it's as easy as just dumping all the ingredients into the bucket and stirring. That's still as easy, but this time we're dumping in the dry ingredients first with the vital wheat gluten and we're whisking that together. Mm-hmm. The issue is that if you don't do that, there's a chance that that vital wheat gluten will sort of bind together and uh, make little clumps in the dough. And so we have people just 
10 seconds of whisking and then you dump the water in and then you stir it with the spoon. So it's as easy, but there's that one, you know, just mm -hmm. slight difference in the mixing process. So, so essentially this time when I go home and try this, I throw about six cups of whole wheat flour in, a, in, a, in my pot. Then I throw in a quarter cup of the wheat gluten and if I want, if I'm feeling frisky, I can throw in the uh, <laughs> the wheat, the yeast, and the salt at that point. Whisk it all together. Then I dump the water in with that. That's exactly uh -huh. right. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I think that's great about this is the way it's really easy to deal with. I mean, once you have this made, uh, I don't know how you came upon this process, but um, the the whole that blob of dough in there in the refrigerator is really easy to deal with. So um, tell us about. Um, when we have our blob of healthy bread, uh, some of the things that that are we can do with this, um, you know, you talk about herb bread, which is interesting. Yeah, you can add it in sort of any time you want. You mm -hmm. can put it in with the initial mix. You can put it in with the liquids. You can put it in with the solids. Um, you can even roll it in after it's formed as a plain dough. Frankly, you can take the plain dough, whether it's whole grain or white, sort of flatten it, stretch it, pull it, use a, use a rolling pin, and then roll up kind of whatever you want. Raisins, mm. nuts, sprinkle sugar and cinnamon on it, and now you have sort of a sweetened bread. Um, seeds, anything like that after the fact. Now, a lot of what motivates me is laziness. I'm not a chef like Zoe. Um, and me so I tend to make one dough and have one bucket. I also have less refrigerator space than she does. Um, and then I'll roll things into it for the variation. Um, or I'll sprinkle things in it, or I'll cut it differently, or I'll just make it in a different shape, and I've already forgotten what yesterday's shape was, and I think I have a new bread. I'm sort of simple-minded. Uh, so talk about, one of the things I like about this second book is that you um, spend a, lot, a little bit of time talking about the artistry of forming the bread. Talk about uh, developing some of those things just to make it look beautiful. Yeah, well, like Jeff said, um, you know, you have this big bucket of dough. We don't want you to have just a loaf of, you know, a boule or a round loaf every day. We want you to form it into different things. And most of those shapes are so easy to do, um, but we've included pictures so to help people get to that, like the wheat stock bread that I mentioned before. It's simply a matter of elongating it into a baguette and then doing a couple of snips with a pair of scissors. This is right in the book. It's right on our website. So easy and so impressive to um, show to people. But we wanted people to have the variety. It's um, unlike Jeff, I tend to have about five to eight buckets of dough going in my <laughs> refrigerator uh, because I get bored really easily and mm -hmm. I want to have the variety of different doughs. So both the shape and the flavors, you know, you can have a lot of fun and a lot of variety. You know, I saw a recipe that I'm probably going to make, I might try tonight, which is the baguette with where you, uh, a long, slim baguette where you just put in four pieces of garlic, mm. four garlic cloves, and then you have this like garlic paste kind of built into the bread. It, it, you're, you're studying the top of the baguette with raw garlic, and then you slip it into the oven and it roasts as the baguette is cooking. And so you just tear off a piece of the bread and then just take that garlic and rub it on the bread. It's absolutely out of this world. It sounds easy. That one of the things I love about all these recipes is they're very, very easy. It's really convenient. Um, I last night I was just desperate for for cinnamon rolls, and, and I just and I had no clue exactly how to do it, but I just 
gotta, <laughs> I said, okay, I'm gonna do this if I can do it really fast because I just don't wanna spend a lot of time. I'm, I've been working all day. And so I just pulled out a blob of dough. I ver I, I've come to the realization that in my house I have to put the um, thing I wanna roll out on in the sink so because all the flour goes everywhere. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> She's appalled by that. In a professional kitchen, you can never bring the food near the sink. It's, they view it almost like um, it's 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 um, unspeakable. Right? That's amazing. You yeah. two got together. No, we, he, he didn't that. tell me. He didn't tell me. No, was no, do no. All right. So then, then you don't have to. All the junk falls in the sink. You don't have to clean up. Yeah, That's exactly. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I have I have uh, an old style, uh, you know, tile in there, and and. The, the flour gets in the grout, and it really gives me a, a highest to, to deal with this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so finish about what you get done yeah. in the sink there. So I quickly rolled out a, a, a little piece of dough. Um, I just put a, like a bunch of brown sugar. I put some, I put a, sprinkled it with cinnamon. I br actually, I brushed the dough first with a little bit of butter. I put brown sugar, cinnamon, raisins, rolled it up, cut it into six pieces. I put it into a small thing, so I didn't have, what was nice was that I could make uh, enough cinnamon rolls for tonight, so to speak, and I, you know, fresh. And then I let it rise. Now, one of the things that I, I find is, I think that it, these, all these recipes benefit from more rising. So, but I spent maybe five minutes, and then I let it rise for like an hour and a half. Um, we, uh, in the first book in particular, um, we really, really wanted to stress that bread was not intimidating, mm -hmm. that anybody could do it, that busy folks coming home could have a loaf of bread at dinner. So Jeff and I um, felt like maybe we compromised on, on the rising times just because we wanted to stress that people could form this, let it rise, and get it in the oven in time for dinner. Mm -hmm. But... We have um, many people coming to our website, and that's one of the things that we talk about, is that if you do let it rise for a little bit longer, like if your kitchen is a little bit cooler, or if your refrigerator happens to chill the dough um, to a very cold point, that you can let it rise. There's a lot of play in there. It's not strict, strict science as everybody uh, imagines. So you can let it rise, and that will actually give you a slightly more open crumb in the middle of the bread as well. Yeah. In the first book, we've usually said 40 minutes, but as you found, sometimes you're going to like it more if you go 60 or even 90. Mm -hmm. Now, in the second book, which is intensely whole wheat, I mean, most of the recipes are at least half whole grain. Uh, the master recipe is about 75% whole grain, and about 10 others are 100% whole grain. It definitely works better to go 90 minutes, or it's going to be a tighter, denser crumb, and most people don't prefer it. Now, I'm anticipating your next question. How'd you get five minutes a day if there's a a 90-minute rest time. The five minutes a day is the active time only. Sitting around 90 minutes while it's rising, you can go do something else. And for the flatbreads, you don't need that rising time. So if you want a bread, as soon as you come home from work, just roll it out while you're preheating the oven, and straight in the oven it goes. For pizza or just a plain flatbread with seeds or olive oil or herbs or whatever you want. So you can get things pretty much instantaneously, even with the whole grain breads, mm. if something's in the refrigerator waiting for you to come home from work. Yeah, I like it. I, I agree. You know, the, the main thing that was always kind of the bugaboo to me was the kneading and the rising. I just never knew I could get it right. And I want, you know, I was kind of scared. I'm going to make this thing. It's going to be this kind of like misshapen lump and it's going to be moist on the inside and burned on the outside. That's just not a problem here. Now, with, with the, when you're going, uh, talk about some of the different uh, fruits and vegetables that you put in there in, in this, the new book. Um, it, it's uh, pretty amazing, some of the stuff you've got in there. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I had this summer um, an organic farm project in my backyard. So I was inspired by a lot of the things that were coming out of my garden, one of which was beets. Um, and I shredded them up and threw them into the dough. And I got this absolute crimson loaf of bread. It was gorgeous. Um, and as Jeff can talk about, some of these really highly colored fruits uh, fruits and vegetables, like berries. We have a berry bread that's magenta, and um, we have squash and uh, sweet potatoes. And even um, I have one that's one of my favorites because uh, my eight-year-old does not like broccoli. Um, and I was determined to get him to eat it. So I threw it into one of the doughs and made it into four-leaf clover buns and then melted cheddar cheese over the top. And he loves them and didn't know it was broccoli. And um, so now I get him to eat broccoli. <laughs> now, now, do these fruits go into the master recipe or do they go in after you made the master recipe? You could actually play with it and start putting them in, rolling them in after the master recipe. But the mm -hmm. ones that Zoe's describing and another one that just popped in my head, which is a wild rice mushroom and onion pilaf bread, mm -hmm. we put that in with the liquids. There's a million ways we could do it. But for these ones where there are vegetables in it, it changes the liquid requirement. Mm. So we wanted to work some out for people. But people who buy the book start improvising, just throwing the kitchen sink into it. And that basically works. Once you've made our recipes, you can see about how wet it needs to be to successfully store it, but not so wet that it turns to goo and mm -hmm. just starts spreading sideways after you know four or five days. That's, that's what you're sort of fighting against. People who make our method notice that it gets wetter as it gets older because the byproducts of fermentation are wet. Um, and the fruits and vegetables change that dynamic. So we've done that for people. Um, another one that works really well is a, um, a lentil curry bread. Basically, uh, really? curried lentil soup, yeah, is mm -hmm. one of the liquids. We put that in there, too. It's not hard to improvise, but we wanted to, to, to start people off. Now, uh, talk a little bit about cooking flatbreads and, and pizza doughs out of this. Um, it sounds like it's actually easier. I haven't done it yet, but now I'm tempted to drag myself home and make oh, do Oh, yeah, do we love the flatbreads because they're instant gratification. Mm -hmm. There's not that rising time. There's not that 40 to 90 minutes that you have to wait to get it into the oven. You can, in the first book, we have um, a recipe for an Indian naan bread, mm -hmm. an Indian flatbread. Um, and we actually do that on the stovetop. So we just heat up a cast iron skillet. And uh -huh. so you're not even preheating the oven. You heat up your cast iron skillet. You take your bucket of dough out of the refrigerator, roll it out. Two minutes later, it's in the skillet. Two minutes after that, you flip it over another two minutes and you have your bread. So six minutes of time from start to finish, you have bread on the table. So... I do this a lot, and I do it out of the master recipe. I've done it out of the spinach feta. I've done it out of the 100% whole wheat. I've even done it with the brioche dough and then drizzle it with maple syrup and a little powdered sugar And my kids. Um, it's like the fried dough at the fair. It's fantastic. You, you need some oil for this, and one of the things we talk about in the second book is that it's almost always possible to swap out the butter or the ghee. Ghee is a clarified Indian butter. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to eat those or if your doctor has said you cannot eat those because your cholesterol is dangerous, um, you can swap for, for healthier oils, canola mm -hmm. oil, olive oil, a mixture of those two. There are butter substitutes now that don't have any trans or saturated fat in them, and we, we go through that in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, we also, in the second book, decrease the total amount of fat in it. 
In the second book, we have a donut recipe that works beautifully. I saw that donut recipe. That sounds really great. Now, what kind of oil do you fry that in? Canola is a, is a healthy oil uh-huh. to use. The, 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 real, the real health question is, aren't you eating a lot of oil? Well, mm-hmm. you're not, and we actually compulsively weighed the donuts before and after. <laughs> if you really? fry them... Uh, Zoe, explain how to... Because I'm not the developer of the donut recipe, but it doesn't absorb much if you use her temperature. Yeah, if you use exactly the temperature that we have in the book, um, you're cooking them at such a rapid temperature, and it's um, sort of setting the outside of these really beautiful, you know, caramelized donuts uh, before it can have time to absorb the oil. It's almost like tempura, where, you, you know, it's... It feels decadent, but you're not actually absorbing that much oil into them. I make them all this time out of the pumpkin pie brioche mm-hmm. recipe, which is whole grains. Um, and then you get the addition of the pumpkin. This time of year, it's just fantastic. Now, um, could you talk uh, about uh, some of the, the gluten-free breads and pastries? That That's... That, I mean, that's a very interesting set of recipes, and, and I, I think more called for more and more by more and more people these days. Yeah, like Jeff said, the, f- the second book was basically requested from our readers. Um, the first um, request being whole grains. The second most requested recipes were gluten-free. And it was people that they themselves are not celiac or gluten intolerant, but they're baking for people that are. Their son mm-hmm. or their grandmother, their aunt, their cousin can't eat gluten. And so we really felt strongly that this was a place where people have such um, limited opportunities to buy good bread, mm-hmm. uh, gluten-free bread. And so we really felt strongly that we wanted to offer this um and it's really exciting. It's a totally different um, way of baking because obviously you don't have the gluten. We've talked a lot about vital wheat gluten. Mm-hmm. Of course, we can't use that in <laughs> these. So we had to um, use a different set of ingredients. Um, the, the thing that binds it together, that gives it that chew and that stretch that you get in bread is called xanthan gum. Mm-hmm. And so instead of the gluten, we use that. Um, it's a different set of ingredients but it's exactly as easy the dumping the stirring the letting it sit being able to store the bread so that they can just take a piece out and bake it fresh now um one of the things uh that i'm interested in i'm thinking of that might be tonight's dinner is pizza dough um so tell me about like i say i have the basic master recipe from the first book um how do i go about getting a decent pizza out of that well you can use any number of uh usually a lean dough, not an enriched dough, although you can be slightly enriched, to make a great pizza. You can make it out of the master recipe, either the white from the first book or the one you've made from the second book, which is about 75% whole wheat. Mm-hmm. The spelt bread, the 100% whole wheat bread, makes a great one. Um, a lot of people like a little olive oil in a pizza dough, and both books have an olive oil enriched dough mm-hmm. that makes great pizza. It's, it's more tender if, mm-hmm. if you use the olive oil one. And olive oil is a fairly traditional flavor in pizza. So you go home and you take a lump of dough uh, between a half pound and a pound, which means between the size of a grapefruit and, a, and an orange, orange and grapefruit, um, and you flatten it with your hands and you start rolling it out. And you may have to use a fair amount of flour to keep it from sticking to everything mm-hmm. on, a, on a wooden board or a, or a 
a lot of people have these marble or marble-like surfaces on their countertops. Now, that works great for getting it nice and flat. It's nice if you've got a, what's called a dough scraper or a bench scraper because it is going to stick a little to that surface, and if you can sort of scrape underneath it and get it off, it's easy to get thin. A really Italian-style pizza is an eighth of an inch thick or less when you're done, mm. and it's going to want to spring back and get thicker. It sort of feels alive because the glutens have developed. Um, we did a segment in, in Napa Valley a couple of years ago where we talked about how the gluten wants to resist it from getting nice and thin in the Italian style. And they, our joke has always been, well, go get a glass of wine while it relaxes. And that is, it, it works. If you let it sit for five minutes, the glutens relax and they don't, they're not so tight. And because it was Napa, somebody came out with wine on this TV set, <laughs> um, which we couldn't drink because it was spoiled. Um, not to mention we shouldn't drink on TV. But um, So you get it nice and thin if you don't get it really thin. Um, it's sort of more of an American-style pizza, more like a quarter of an inch, and it will rise a bit in the oven when it gets oven spring. You've been preheating the oven to about 550, which is as high as most ovens go. Mm -hmm. If you've got an exhaust fan, great. You should have all your toppings ready in advance. Grate up about a quarter pound of you know f nice fresh mozzarella, some tomato, crushed tomatoes, uh, which you've drained some of the water from, and then basically whatever you like on your pizza. Mm -hmm. It can be the kitchen sink. We don't like to use a lot of stuff on wet dill pizzas because it starts to get a little heavy. If you use a little less, it tends to work better, and that's more of an Italian style anyway. Uh, if you get your if you preheat your uh, st oven stone to about 550, this whole thing will will bake in in under 12 minutes. Start looking at it mm -hmm. at about eight, and this is where you can get creative and have a party with your friends and just put the toppings out and let them start making it. You can even do it outside on a gas grill. We give directions for that too in summertime. Oh, that sounds like fun. Um, now, uh, talk a little bit about turning some of these bread doughs into delicious desserts. I, I mean, the cinnamon rolls were, were natural. Now, I'm, th the other thing I was thinking about doing tonight was to just go home, and instead of putting brown sugar on, I was going to put some orange marmalade on. Mm. And, oh, then just, and then uh, just make a, the frosting with a little orange zest and a little orange juice and the cream frosting and put that on top. I mean, is there a good, I'm trying to figure out a good orange version of these rolls. Yeah, I love that idea. I'm a marmalade fanatic. I love it. Um, I'm a pastry chef by training. And so mm. when I met Jeff, the very, very first recipe that I developed was the brioche in the first book. Um, and for anybody that's ever made brioche, it's one of the most laborious tasks in a pastry kitchen. Um, it's just, you know, everything has to be just the right temperature and this and that. And so when I discovered that you could literally just dump it all in a bucket, just like all of the other things, mix it up and have this just incredible recipe. Um, in the first book, the brioche dough has three sticks of butter and eight eggs. Um, and it's sweetened with a bit of honey. It's luscious, it's rich, it's absolutely wonderful. I couldn't live without it. But for the second book, we wanted that same experience, but with whole grains. Um, we were focusing on less sugar, less um, fats, or different types of fats. So instead of all that butter, we give people the option of using um, oils or even butter substitutes mm -hmm. um, that fit into their diet. But you can, just like you're saying, because you have this big bucket of dough and it's not this precious loaf that you've been caressing and, you know, finessing, you can play with it and add whatever flavors you're interested in. I think it would be absolutely delicious to roll this thin 
put a layer of the marmalade or even like a lemon curd, mm. um, roll this up, and then you can either um, bake it as a ring, mm-hmm. you know, like a Danish ring almost, or snip it off and make individual buns and then do just what you said of making a cream cheese frosting, which we actually have in the book, but then adding some orange zest to that would be just divine. And this you want to cook at 350, not 450. At 350, because of um, the sugars that mm-hmm. are in the dough. I mean, not that we don't use refined sugar, but the honey or maple, or we use um, molasses. Molasses, all different types of sweeteners. Because of those, they'll really and and the egg content in there as well. You do want to bake these at a lower temperature, so 350. But all of that is all of the exact temperatures are right in the book. Although we've been talking for more than five minutes, uh, <laughs> I've been speaking with Jeff Hertzberg and Chef Zoe Francois, who are the authors of Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day, and their new book is Healthy Bread in Five Minutes a Day. Thank you for joining me, Jeff and Zoe. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.